we are uh, in verses 14 to 21, we're laying a framework of what it is the Apostle Paul is sharing with us here in this prayer. Let me read it, and then I'll ask the Lord to enlighten us. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant to you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. In order that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, in order that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, in order that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we could ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, we come now to hear from you. Father, we come to, as the Apostle Paul to bow our knee before you. Father, to drink deep of this in such a way that we are overwhelmed. Help us, Lord. Help us to walk in a manner worthy. But Father, help us to understand the urgency of the day and what is missing in the body of Christ. And Father, I just pray. Pray even now that those people that are called by your name will humble themselves before you to your glory and praise. Amen. Last week I was sharing with you that there are times in the body of Christ and times in the Christian lives you will run into people who have a a very solid foundation of understanding. They know what I would call the verbiage. I know what it says. Okay? And they believe what it says. But they never engage in what it does. I was thinking in my life, I have run into some people. Right now, my daughter-in-law and her husband and my granddaughter, they travel an hour and 20 minutes to a church. One way. Because the church teaches the Bible. And that was their passion. I know a guy who lived in, and his family had four kids, lived in the upper peninsula of Michigan. Could not find a church. Moved to Southern California so he could attend Grace. Didn't have a job. They liquidated all their assets. Threw everybody in the minivan with a small trailer. Got there on a Saturday night, slept in the parking lot. Went to church on Sunday morning, approached the deacons and said, We're here, we need to know, is there anybody you know that we can get a job? Why? That defies logic. Or does it? Or perhaps it's showing us something that we don't really pay attention to. We kind of go cruising through our seats and uh, hang in there. Last week I shared with you one of my favorite places in Scripture out of Colossians 
chapter 1, 28-29, we proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose, also I labor, striving according to His power, which mightily works within me. See, Paul understood that God is the power source. You can be the best teacher in the world, and that don't mean nothing. Look at Jesus. If God didn't energize it, what happened? His disciples forsook Him. The people turned on Him, and they wanted Him crucified. It's like I shared with you last week. You can have the fastest Indy car in an Indianapolis 500, but if you don't turn the motor on, everybody knows it. It looks good. It's got everything there. But it's not doing anything. I was watching this thing yesterday on the Austin Martin DB11. You don't have to worry about it. It's a, uh, it's not even, in, you can't, you can buy it. You can't just take it anywhere. A 650 horse, 12 cylinder, 12 speed automatic. Okay. And I don't know what the price tag is on it. Um, and it doesn't matter to me. But I looked at that machine and it's just beautiful. I thought, you know what? You take it out to the racetrack and you push it around the track, you look like an idiot. But if you turn it on, then everybody says, I want one. Listen, if we don't turn on the resources are there. I showed them in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and part of chapter 3. If you're a believer, you have the resources. The power is there. The potential is there. But if you don't turn on the engine, what does it do? Listen, you. if you don't turn it on, God may force the issue. Okay, so I'll just give you a bit of advice. It's easier to turn it on yourself than God forcing the issue. Paul here is calling on God to activate the believer's power so that God gets the glory. All right, so back up to. 314, you have a thought here. Okay? What is he saying? Now, I want to show you this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. For this reason, for this cause, I bow my knee. Okay? Well, bowing of the knees is obvious that he's praying. All right, I fell down, so no, he's praying. All right, but for this reason, has to take us backwards. All right, what is it that makes Paul pray this prayer? What is it that Paul is crying out to God for his power to function? Okay. 
Well, this text is a little complicated in that because to really understand it, you have to go back to verse 1 of chapter 3. What does he say there at the beginning of verse uh, chapter 3? For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. All right? So you literally could look at verses 2 through 13 as a parenthesis. All right? He starts out in verse 1, I want to pray. Then he stops. Before I pray for your enablement, I need to share something. I need to teach you better. I need to teach you again. I need to show you this very basic truth. So he stops. It's almost like it's a parenthesis. And he goes back to some of the truths that are essential. Remember? The purpose of the mystery. What is this thing? What is this thing that you and I call church? When he finishes the truth, he comes right back to the prayer. That's in verse 14. For this reason. I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, I bow my knee. Right? So he goes right back to the prayer. For this cause. Okay, now I'm going to take it back to verse 1. Alright? What does he say? Alright, now verse 1 says, for this reason. So what does that do? Takes you back. I know, because we're not making progress in this book. We're going back and back and back. Alright, it takes you back. Chapter 2, verse 22. In whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Alright, now listen. Chapter 2. Remember, chapter 1 is God's plan before the foundations of the universe. Remember that? Chapter 2 is our identity of every Christian. Who we are. How do we identify? Listen. We... In chapter 2, are alive in Jesus Christ. We are His workmanship. We are no longer aliens. We have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We are one new man. We are one body. We are no longer strangers. We are fellow citizens. We are all saints of the household of God. We are built on the foundation of the holy apostles and prophets. And we are being fitted into a Holy temple. Now, see that's 21. Now 22 says, you are being built together into the dwelling of God the Spirit. For this reason. 
Did you get that? For this reason, I bow my knees. For this reason, I pray for you Gentiles. In whom, in Christ, we are built together. You know what the word there, he says, a dwelling of God. You know what the word literally means in the Greek? A habitation. A habitation of God through the Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, that seems just a tad bit on the amazing side. Tad bit on the amazing side. This morning I was talking about the wonderful intellectual people of the universe now are so smart that they say, well, you cannot prove that there is a God. Yeah, I can. Absolutely, it's easy. Easiest thing on the planet. Why? I'm a new creature. My nature has changed. Man don't have that ability. Man wants to change your nature. You know what he does? Put you in prison. It'll change your nature. At least until you get out. It is because you as a Christian are the habitation of God. The habitation of the Spirit. And the habitation of Christ. Those are non-negotiables. And he says, God, for that reason, I pray that you would use the power, that you would turn it on. I want you to think about this for a second. Because God is there. That means His power is there. That means His Spirit is there. And Paul says, Oh God, enable them to see that fullness. I ask you, have you seen that fullness? In your life, have you seen that fullness? It is the definition of a believer. As the very habitation of God, of the universe, that causes Paul to say, there is so much power. There are so much in resources. Oh God, may it be manifest. That's the cause for which he prays here. For this reason, I bow my knee. For this reason, that you and I are the habitation of Jesus Christ. If you drop down there to chapter 3, verse 19, it says this. To know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. How bizarre is that? To know something that can't be known. All right. Why? So that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Filled with the fullness. Why? Because you are the habitation of God. 
we are His habitation. We should pray that we might know that fullness. Listen, brothers and sisters, it ain't got nothing to do with the amount of Bible knowledge you've got. It has everything to do with understanding that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit indwells you. And the resources that spoke existence into being are in you right now. Since we are the habitation of God. Then back up to verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And you being rooted and grounded in love. I like that because grounded means I'm standing here. Rooted means that I'm hanging on underneath here. The roots are below the ground. But yet I'm grounded on the ground. That's where I'm standing. I'm rooted and grounded in what? Christ's love. And who will dwell in your heart? Now the word dwell here is completely different than the one that you are dwelling. The the word that you see dwelling, meaning a habitation, is not the same word that is here. The word that is here means that he is at home. He is comfortable there. He's running around in his real ragged sweatpants and flip-flops and an old ragged t-shirt. And he doesn't care about what people see him because he is at home. Uh, I've been a bachelor all week and I stretched out my bachelor arms this week and I never made my bed. Because I'm at home. Okay, now, I made it before she came back, so <laughs> you don't, don't tell her that. But no, I didn't make the bed. Why? The dog's sleeping with me. He, you make the bed. Okay? That's what it means to be at home. Fill us With his love. And since you are the habitation of the Holy Spirit, then verse 16, he would grant to you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit. Where? In the inner man. Inner man. That's the part that talks you out of things. Okay? See, I. I, I, the doctors have got me, I'm supposed to be working out five days a week. But this week, I had to be at the hospital at six o'clock on Monday morning, so I talked myself out of going at four. Okay, there's just something about exercising at four a.m. is no. It, it can't, it can't be done. So, I mean, it, there's, there's things that'll break at four a.m. if you try to stretch it. Okay, so I didn't do it. Okay. So I go through the surgery, hang out at the hospital and all the rest of it. So on Tuesday, I don't have to be up there. I knew she had physical therapy early in the morning and all the rest of it. So go to the gym. I talked myself out of it. <laughs> I sat up. I was sitting there with a cup of coffee. The dog was all cuddly. And 
I was just sitting there going, man, I got up earlier yesterday and it was an exhausting day and I don't need to go. That's the inner man. Wednesday showed up. Ah, she's got to go back to surgery. Now she doesn't, I don't have to be up there until about 7 o'clock, so I've got an extra hour. But that's only one hour hour, so instead of going at 4 a.m., I'd have to go at 5 a.m. Nah, I can't do that. So I didn't go. Thursday, I'm back. I get up at 5 a.m., sitting there having me a nice hot cup of coffee. And it didn't take me too long, and my old head in the inner man says, Nah. You got things to do around here. You're going to have to clean up your mess before your wife comes home. (laughs) Okay. Talk myself out of it. I know. Here's what I'll do. I'll go Friday and Saturday and I won't feel as guilty. Okay. She calls me Thursday night. Hey, I'm coming home on Friday. All right. You got to come up and get me. Okay. So I get up in the morning. Talk myself right out of it. Get her home. She's not doing what it was kind of a bumpy night on Friday night. So guess what I did on Saturday? <laughs> the inner man whooped my carcass and says, go on vacation. All right. Now Monday's coming. All right. And I've got to go to the eye doctor, a specialist. And I've already got myself talked out of that one because, you know, and that doctor appointment ain't until 1030. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the inner man. I need to be strengthened in the inner man by the Holy Spirit because my spirit is not getting it done. See, I want us to understand something about this prayer. You and I have been taught most of our Christian lives that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Right? That ain't what this prayer says. This prayer says that a Christian is indwelt by the entire triune God. Cults are noted for their ability to separate the Trinity. There are some great men who wrote great big books and everybody bought the books and they got TV shows and mega churches this and mega churches that and they don't even believe in the Trinity. There are a lot of people out there and if I name names you would know who they were that believe that God left heaven, came down as Jesus Christ, went back up to heaven, waited for a little bit and he came back down as the Holy Spirit. So you know who's in heaven right now? Crickets. God's down here as the Holy Spirit. That is not what this text says. I am to be strengthened in the inner man by who? The Holy Spirit. Why? So Christ will dwell in me. And I, when He is dwelling in me, I will understand the love that surpasses knowledge. Because when those two things happen, guess what happens next? The fullness of God is manifest in the individual believers. So, this whole prayer is on the indwelling of God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. Okay, on the basis of that reality, God is there. Then comes this prayer that you and I tap into what we have. (laughs) 
Turn it on. That God the Son would settle there and be at home. That God the Spirit would enable and strengthen. And that God Himself would fill you with the fullness. When that happens... The result is you would do exceedingly abundantly above what you can ask or think resulting in what? God being glorified. And you know what? We studied this two weeks ago, three weeks ago. The angels look down on it. and What do they do? They glorify God. Where? In heaven. Look. They are manifesting the fullness and abundance of God. Look at them. Can you believe that? I have a word for that. Phantasmagorical. All for the cause of who you are and who dwells in you. Paul's telling us, it is unacceptable that some Christians who have in them God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit should live in impotence. And if you think about it for a second, that is unbelievable. How can you call yourself a Christian when you don't show any of the fullness of God? How do you do that? We each should know and manifest the triune God. That is amazing. Back to verse 22 of chapter 2. In whom you also being built together into the dwelling of God the Spirit. You have Christ in you. You have God, the habitation of God, and the Spirit, power through the Spirit. Every single Christian. Where I come from? Phantasmagorical. That's pretty amazing. Remember Paul talking to the Corinthians? I'm just a clay pot. An earthen vessel with what? Precious treasure inside. You know what the treasure is? You do now. You do now. We need to walk out of here and start running like those DB11, Austin Martins. Get her done. Blow the horn, smile. The eternal triune God of the universe. Listen, I'm going to close with this. Why would I take this high-performance machine and push it around when God is in there? You guys know that I deal with Harley-Davidson's. Harley-Davidson's, that V-twin, is always considered a high-performance engine. And if you get on one, you realize pretty quickly that's kind of a high-performance engine. But you know one of the worst things about a Harley is? When you have to push that stupid high-performance engine around. It 
Drives you nuts. I've got one in there right now that weighs right around 650 pounds. And I got 111 horse on it with a six-speed transmission. But I also have a bad ignition. So I'm going to change the ignition when I get a few extra dollars. So right now, here I have a 111 horsepower motorcycle that when I need to work, I have to roll it out of the garage and go in and work and then roll it back in the garage. Okay? You know what? How many Christians are the same way? They have a high-performance machine and they won't engage the ignition. That's what Paul prays here. Turn it on! Turn it on. Why? So the fullness of God is seen in you and He does exceedingly abundantly beyond what you can ask or think and He gets the glory and the angels praise Him in heaven. And you know what I've learned? Without prayer, this doesn't happen. It's like I shared with you out of Colossians chapter 1. I strive. I labor. Okay, you know what that means, right? Labor is means I'm working to the point of exhaustion. Okay, that you're sweating. Right, striving is a veterinary term that means I have worked it, this animal, that I've strained a muscle. So I am laboring and striving. Okay? By what? The power of God that is in me. To accomplish what? To make every man complete in Christ. Now, I don't know about you. From my perspective, that's job security. Okay? That's what we're all about here. The fullness of God. Let's get our engines started. Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher. Help us, Lord. Help us to start understanding and mining the deepness of this text. Help us to know the love of Christ that is beyond knowledge. Help us to understand the breadth, the length, the height, the depth. Help us to be strengthened with power through your Spirit in the inner man. Help us to be rooted and grounded in love. And help us to start witnessing your fullness doing exceedingly abundantly beyond what we can ask or think. And Father, may your glory rise to heaven. In Christ's name, amen.